0: Dogmatically Imperfect, explores what happens to us when our reality does not match our dogma. Warning, the following is a theological reasoning that has not been endorsed by any religious organization, mainstream or otherwise. The views expressed are sure to threaten certain sectors of organized religion. Rest assured, God is not threatened by this reasoning, nor is God angry with the person expressing or hearing this reasoning. Since God has not given you a spirit of fear, do not let fear hinder or scare you, who are made in the image and likeness of God, from hearing. Trust the Holy Spirit to identify and highlight the thoughts in this podcast that are in agreement with God's thoughts and allow these thoughts to resonate deep within your soul. Purpose in your heart that all thoughts contrary to the example of Christ, as confirmed by the Holy Spirit in your heart, will be separated and cast aside. To be burned. All right, here we go. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather. Let's how we do Mark two. Let me go to Mark two. I'm gonna get my. <laughs> I'm gonna. What I'm doing right now is I'm getting my uh, YouTube, my YouTube uh, thumbnail pictures, right? My YouTube thumbnail thumbnail pictures, right? So right here, I'm going to be like. That's a good one. Okay, good. All right, we got it. We got it. We got it. We got it. Okay. That is hilarious. That can be on one of the outtakes. Um, it could be kind of on the <laughs> on the intro of the show. Okay, this is great. Good morning. It is time for dogmatically imperfect zero zero three. Uh, that's right. It's our third episode if you don't count zero zero zero, of course, which is the introductory episode that gives you some of my background. In fact, if you didn't listen to episode 000, I encourage you at some point go back and check it out. It's a powerful story that explains what drove me to this path and why I'm sharing on this podcast. Uh, The title of today's episode is The Original Heretic, and the subtitle would be Jesus versus Traditional Us Theology. The first two episodes have included what I think amounts to journal entries. Um, The first was a letter to my dad that I never sent him. The next one was a very emotional piece that was written before the letter to my dad, Uh, Today, I do have another entry to share. This one is much more recent, July of 2021, just about two months before my dad passed away. And someone said, why do you keep talking about your dad all the time? I need to keep reminding you the gravity of what I'm sharing. My dad pastored for over 40 years. I know how contrary this message is to what my dad taught and believed. And this is no small thing for me to come out and say these things. So when I refer to my dad, it's to put into context how convinced I am of the Omega view. My dad was the most Christ-like person I ever knew. Do you really think I would so easily teach something so fundamentally at odds with him without being persuaded? So that's why I continue to reference my dad. And this piece I wrote that I'm going to share at the end uh, today here illustrates the anguish that my traditional imperfect dogma caused me. It illustrates the need to reconcile what I thought I knew. And the piece today is intense, it's powerful, so stay tuned to hear that piece at the end. So far in our first two sessions, we've seen in the scripture that God is not against the them, and that eternal life for them is actually available, believe it or not, and it's not based on belief but through works according to <laughs> you know someone the other day said to me Justin what's with all that stuff you're teaching on your show are you starting a cult or something your hair's starting to look like Keith Ranieri <laughs> and I, I kind of gave him this surprised look and and as I was leaving I said I have no idea what you're talking about and I tried to kiss him on the lips goodbye you know well he pulled away and and I was like I'm pretty sure that's an ethical breach Pause for laughter, right? <laughs> so uh, I noticed I only got a few chuckles from the chosen few. Don't worry, chosen few. The rest of them are going to get their Kool-Aid after the show. <laughs> but uh, And by the way, I feel like those chosen few chuckles should have been a little bit more hearty. So if you could just work on that for me, I'd appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> someone said, how dare you make jokes about cults? Cults are not a laughing matter. Well, yeah, that's only because you don't have the proper training. (laughs) No, seriously. No, seriously. (laughs) Okay, so I'm making myself chuckle here. Again, though, eternal life, it's not based on belief, but based on works, according to Matthew 25 and John 5 and some other scriptures as well. Well, what kind of works? Offering the right sacrifices, reciting the sinner's prayer, saying enough Our Father's, Being fully immersed during baptism because, you know, a sprinkle just ain't going to cut it. No, 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 no. Works that are rooted in consideration of your own faults and extending empathetic actions toward others. Whatsoever things you would have done to you, do that to others. Specifically, forgive and and you'll be forgiven, right? Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Judge not and you will not be judged, right? Extend mercy to obtain mercy, etc. We see all this all throughout the ministry of Jesus. Remember, we saw that when Jesus was specifically asked how to obtain eternal life, he didn't tell them to say the sinner's prayer. He didn't tell them to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus died for their sin. That's not what Jesus told people. He told them to obey the commandments and that the commandments are summarized By loving your neighbor as yourself. So we have to ask ourselves, why are these concepts so resisted by traditional Christian doctrine? Well, I was thinking about that, and why don't we do this? Why don't we flip it for a minute? Let's just imagine that Jesus told people, I'm going to die for your sin, and if you believe that I'm the Messiah, and you confess that I'm the Son of God, then my blood will uh, cover your sin, and you'll have eternal life. You know, right? So when the expert in the law asked Jesus how to get to your ter- how to get eternal life, this would have been the Jesus uh the answer that Jesus gave, okay? So, and then, you know, later on after Jesus ascends, Paul comes along and he says, eh, "I mean, I know what Jesus said, and I can see how that might fit with the Old Testament and the sacrificial re- sacrificial requirements and everything, but but I'm just really thinking the real way to eternal life It's just to follow the commandments and do unto others what you would want them to do to you. That's really what God wants. We'd be like, uh, Paul, let me get my Keith Keithranary hair in order, right? He'd be like, we'd be like, uh, Paul, look, I know what you, I know you mean well and all, but the actual son of God said, it's not that at all. You have to believe and confess minimum, right? We would totally dismiss Paul or would we? Right? We've been conditioned to relate to God only through the death of Jesus, and we skipped over his three years of ministry to humanity, his earthly example, Right, the, the example of God in the earth. If We always wanted to know what God was like, and he showed us what he's like. And if the sacrifice of Jesus was the only thing that could reconcile humanity with God, his purpose could have been fulfilled when Herod sought to kill him as a two-year-old. But as we saw last week, Zoroastrian priests were warned by God, the same angel of the Lord that came to visit Mary, right, to not see Herod after worshiping Jesus, whom they recognized as the Son of God. The life and ministry of Jesus has been subjected to a subsequent veiled understanding of the importance of his ministry prior to his death and resurrection, Jesus did not teach or pre- preach grace through faith. Jesus preached again, we saw this in the first session, that sinners were in a quote-unquote sinners, right? Were in a better position with God than the religious leaders. Because they recognized their own shortcomings and treated others with empathy because they are, they knew they were really no better. And if Jesus preached grace at all, it was in the form of you and I extending grace to others so that we would be positioned to receive grace. Jesus taught that the religious leaders would be worse off than the people in Tyre and Sidon, right? Because they believed themselves to be righteous and pure. And this put them in a position to view them, right? Anyone not like us, anyone not in our group. We view them as inferior inferior and not worthy of empathy or dignity. Jesus condemned their thinking because it stripped them of their imago Dei, their image and likeness of God. The practice of dehumanizing the them is what makes any individual, especially religious people, dissimilar to God. Let me repeat that. I think it's important. The practice of dehumanizing the them... What do I mean by dehumanizing the them? When we look at somebody else as not made in the image and likeness of God, we look at them as not human, right? Subhuman. Not the chosen us, right? Not not worthy of being on God's team, right? When we dehumanize somebody, it's what makes any individual, especially religious people, dissimilar to God. And this is unacceptable in the eyes of God, but even this sin was not so great that Jesus didn't forgive them because they knew not what they were doing. Jesus said, if you believe what I'm teaching, it'll bring eternal life. The red letters say, if you ignore what he's teaching, it'll bring condemnation. And really, condemnation is the act of running to the chaos and the darkness, right, and hiding from the light. That's why somebody is condemned already. And if you study out John chapter 3, the condemnation says nothing about eternal punishment. You can literally throw a dart anywhere in the Gospels and hit a passage where Jesus was making the experts in Judaism so angry that the only difference... Uh, that that the only thing the different sects, right, not sex, sects, the different denominations of Judaism, the only thing they agreed on was to kill him. Think about that. I want you to think about that. Jesus unified religious factions in one way. They all wanted to kill God. Amazing. In fact, let's take a look Uh, at an example of that. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 2 in our Bible, but before we do, I want to take a look at how we traditionally arrive at some of our foundational dogma. And uh, I was raised in a particular denomination that has a fundamental belief that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look briefly at how this became a fundamental doctrine or dogma. Let's turn, I'm going to hold my place here, in Mark chapter 2. I'm already there. So if you want to turn to Mark, not if you're driving, again, don't violate wisdom, but Mark chapter 2, hold your place there, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 1, uh, and we're going to take a look at this. John, Acts chapter 1. Okay, and I'm just going kind to of, kind of summarize chapter 1 until we get to chapter 2, and then we'll we'll kind of get to where we're going. And the first part recounts how the disciples were totally wrong in their focus and understanding. They were looking for an earthly king to kingdom to, establish, to be established, right? And Jesus is like, guys, just go, and I'm paraphrasing, okay, if you couldn't tell, go hang out in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit will meet you there. And if you listen, this is how you're going to know what to do next. And Jesus didn't even bother trying to talk them out of their earthly kingdom mindset. He'd been doing this the whole time, right? The, dis- the disciples used to argue. And fight over who was going to be, you know, Secretary of State, right? And Peter wanted to be the Secretary of War. And Judas, of course, wanted to be the Secretary of the Treasury, right? And Jesus was like, guys, it's not like that. I'm not actually setting up a coup. And the disciples were like, okay, Jesus, wink, wink. Uh, the Messiah is not going to do that. No problem. I mean, it's all over the that's all the Old Testament ever talked about, right? An everlasting kingdom, David's offspring, and all that. But yeah, we got it. Wink, wink. Again, that's not what you're going to do. Okay, we'll play along. So, anyway, Jesus in chapter uh, one of Acts is ascending, and they're like, uh, hold on. Excuse me, Jesus, I know we were winking along with you before about not setting up your kingdom, and we get it, right? It was strategic, and we played along. And then they killed you, right? Then you rose again, and now we finally got it, right? Not even death can hold you down. So now let's go ahead and get back to the real objective of setting up a kingdom. So when do you think you're going to do that? And so Jesus says, guys, guys, stop worrying about things above your pay grade, okay? Go hang out in the upper room, and you're going to get what I promised. So in the next part of Acts here, um, where am I at? Well, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it does matter, but I'm saying for the, for the sake of this summary. Uh, in fact, I don't have my glasses. Let me just do this real quick. So that's the first section of Acts. And da, 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 da. the next part... Da, 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 da. So chapter, uh, verse 16, right, is the next part. And again, I'm just going to summarize this little part again. So verse 1 through 15 is the first part that we just talked about. And now starting in verse 16, um, it shows how they needed to replace Judas, right? And they played bingo to see who was going to be the replacement for Judas, right, as one of the 12 disciples. And why did they do this? Because it is written, right? That's why they did it this way. Um, Okay, so Acts chapter 2. And now we're kind of getting to the crunch of things, right? We got the mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire rested on the people praying in the upper room, and right, they began speaking in other tongues as the spirit enabled. And that's uh chapter verse four of chapter two. Okay. So clearly we see that the dogma comes from this historic recorded example of what took place. So it was decided, is is That if this is the way it happened, then this is the way we're going to teach it. And it becomes the basis for fundamental doctrine that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit. So in other words, um, this is how we know that somebody's filled with the Spirit because they've been speaking in tongues. And if they haven't been speaking in tongues, then they probably are not filled with the Spirit because clearly from the record, we see that this is what happens when somebody's filled with the spirit. Does that follow? Right. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that we don't use the example of Acts chapter one for how we choose our leaders, but let's just put that to the side, right? We don't play bingo to find out who's going to be the next pastor. Okay. Even though their decision was rooted in two different parts of the scripture, let's put that to the side Because the Holy Spirit was not really involved in that, right? This was before they were were baptized in the Spirit, and they didn't know what they were doing. They were just kind of doing their best to follow along with what the Scripture had. So, which is a very telling thing, and we'll come back to that at some point, maybe in the future. Um, You know, but here's the thing. We've also been taught that the word gospel translates as the good news, So what I want to do right now is I'm going to summarize the gospel the way it was learned to me, right? So God created humanity. Humanity messed up and sin separated us from God. But before the foundation of the world, God devised a plan. He would send his son to reconcile us back to God. And the good news is that the gospel is that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is God's son and that he died for our sin, And God raised him from the dead. If we confess this with our mouth, we will be saved and we will have eternal life. And the good news is that salvation is available because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, what could possibly be gooder than that? Well, let's go to a passage where God the Son was directly involved, as was his custom. He was making the dogmatic religious experts really upset with him. Okay, and so now hopefully you you held your place because we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Let me get my glasses because they are handy-dandy like uh, the notebook that Steve uses. Um, And without these things, it's difficult to read. Everything gets a little bit blurry, (laughs) which is another uh, lesson for another day. But anyway, Mark chapter 2. Hopefully you held your place. And this is where we're at. And we will start reading... In verse 1. And again, he, being Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Uh, immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. I mean, the place was packed, right? And he preached the word to them. What did he preach? We won't go over that again. But you know what he preached. You already know what he preached. We've been going over that. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic, paralytic was lying. Okay, so the place is packed, right? It's a sellout crowd. Not, not even standing room only. You can't even get through. So these these guys, they had a buddy, and they cared about him a lot. And he was, and he was, and he was really sick, and they were so determined to get this guy healed, that they took the roof off of the place, right? We're going to blow the roof off, okay? They literally did. They took the roof off, and they lowered him down. And verse 5, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Amazing. Remember, this is what we were saying last week. Man, I never heard anything like this before. I never seen anything like this before. This is what they said. This is what they said. So here, let's take the same approach for creating dogma as baptism in the spirit. What happened? A guy's friends brought him to God the Son. Why? To have his sins forgiven? No. To be healed from an ailment. And what did Jesus do? He forgave the guy's sins. Did the guy ever ask to be forgiven? No. Had Jesus died on the cross yet? No. If we use the example of speaking in tongues as a template for developing fundamental doctrine from this passage, we can deduce from this account that God forgives sins without being asked, and He didn't need to sh- shed a sh- drop of blood to do it. And if we can deduce this, we can also build a fundamental truth behind it. When Jesus did these kinds of things, It made the religious dogmatic experts so mad that they tore their clothes, right? And they put aside their dogmatic differences, and they conspired to kill God. Jesus was the original heretic. What made him a heretic? He said things like, I know you heard an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you, love your enemy. Look, I know you heard when someone actively opposes God that you should call down fire from heaven. But I'm telling you, you don't even know what spirit you're of. I'm not like that at all. In fact, if you want to be like your Father in heaven, He doesn't withhold good things from evil people. He causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And He makes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And when they caught the woman in the act of adultery, right, uh, Let's think about this. Okay. The religious people, they caught the woman in the act, according to the way it said, and they only brought the woman. You know, the guy, the, the, the man was not brought before Jesus, right? This is what the, the term that we use today as of like last week or last couple of weeks ago, right? Selective outrage, right? <laughs> Chris Rock talked about it uh, after... In his special, when, you know, Will Smith came up and slapped him and the whole thing, and that was the name of his special, Selective Outrage. Look, that's not new. This is not new. They were doing it all the way back in the biblical record, and the Jews had selective outrage. They didn't do anything about the guy caught in the act, right? But they brought the woman in the act of adultery, and they brought him before Jesus, and guess what? Jesus did not condemn. And if this is true, I know what you've heard. But God did not kill David and Bathsheba's baby. That's not God's nature. Even when the religious leaders finally succeeded in their collusion to be true to the law and the prophets, to do what it said, and they conspired to kill God, Jesus embodied the likeness of the Father and said, forgive them, without them even asking. This is the truer dogma. It is the nature of God to forgive. God is not angry. God may be grieved, but God is not angry. Not with the us, not with the them. John ten ten is the clearest litmus test ever given, And it's the true starting point. The thief comes to what? Kill, steal, destroy. God's nature is what? To bring life more abundantly. So we can say with confidence that anything, anything that does not line up with the life more abundantly side is not from God. And if it falls under the category of steal, kill, destroy, we know where that comes from. We know where that comes from. The original heretic was so radically different than what the text said and the way it was understood that Jesus himself, the Son of God walking the earth, could not get through to the disciples about an earthly kingdom. They saw with their own eyes and they still couldn't escape their dogmatic upbringing. And these 2,000 plus years later, we've reverted back to the idea that what is written is the thing we should cling to. (sighs) Justin, are you saying throw out the Bible? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Bible contains the record of how humanity derived religious dogma. And although it captures glimpses of the nature of God, Right? In Jonah, this is why, I mean, Jonah was so mad at God because he knew he was, he was merciful and kind and wanted to forgive, right? This is, these are the glimpses of, of the true nature of God. But be, because biblical writers were human, they also included ideas that are contrary to, na- to the nature of God. And for a brief three year moment in history, we had an exa- think about this. look, it's 2023 now, and I don't know where these last three years went since, since the uh, pandemic, right? since they started lockdown. It's March right now at, at the time of this recording. March 2023, three years ago, they, these three years they blend together, and I lose track of these times. And this is the time frame that Jesus was the example of God and the Earth. For a brief three-year moment. And from the very moment Jesus was ascending, humanity began reverting, and we're still stuck in these us-them ideas that contain every reason to justify acting like the thief, right? To steal, kill, and destroy. Because if you're not with me and God's on my side, then he must be against you. So, so God is going to destroy you because you're trying to destroy me but that's contrary to who God is. Think about Abram. He had no Bible to refer to. And it didn't preclude him from getting some things wrong, in the very, very wrong, in the very midst of getting other things right. And while the Old Testament is the record of one clan of humanity, right, the Israelites, grasping to understand and please God, the New Testament is the record of humanity struggling to separate themselves from the us-them dogmatic tradition and trying to align with the nature of God after God personally came down in the man, Jesus of Nazareth, to give the divine example. And guess what? Just like the Old Testament, there are beautiful glimpses of humanity grasping the Omega view, the view from God's perspective that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Right? Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I would never go against the dogma. I never saw you go against it. Peter, don't call unclean the thing that I'm telling you is clean. Not can be clean or will be clean, but is clean. Is clean. Okay? We see these things right alongside. Steal, kill, and destroy verses. If you do X, Y, Z... God won't get you. But if you don't, you don't have access to unconditional love. Wait, what? I have to meet the conditions to have unconditional love? Listen, I know what you've heard. I know you've been told the good news. And if you have ears to hear, your life is going to be more rich, more full, less strife, No enemies. This is the epitome of the kingdom of heaven, and you get to access it and showcase it in the here and now. You don't have to wait for the by and by. Listen, I've said a lot. I've put a lot of you in the position of wanting to condemn me. Some of you think God is going to do it. God's going to get me. And some of you have an idea that you're God's instrument to carry out the destruction of what I presented. But let me tell you, if you engage in violence of any sort, it's rooted in steal, kill, destroy, and it's not from God. I know that the inner knowing you have really, really, really wants to agree with what I've presented. Wouldn't that just be great? Yes! But not just the good news, it's the gooder news. What you're hearing is a declaration of how good God truly is. And this message leaps in your spirit. Like John the Baptist leapt in the womb when he heard the voice of of Mary. And even though it goes against what you've been taught your entire Christian life. Now before you email me, right, before you leave a comment, first I encourage you. Write down your thoughts. I'm not saying don't email me. I'm not saying don't comment. I want you to write them down. Write down all your yabbits. Write down all your whatabouts. But listen to these first three sessions a couple of times. Look, I know I keep telling you to go back and listen again and again, right? There's a reason. We've been taught, train up a child in the way he should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. And so, your training is putting up roadblocks from hearing what I'm saying to you. So, you have to hear it again and again to truly understand what's being said. The news is gooder than good. It's great, right, Tony the Tiger? So, look at your questions and your comments and see how they change after the second and the third listen, right? I promise you, I had all the same whatabouts. I had all the same objections, all the same questions. You're not going to send me something that's new. Okay. And I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm saying, I think I'm finally starting to see the humanity in the written word that contains the example of the true nature of God. And the more I look, the gooder it gets. I have this journey, uh, journal entry. And look, some of you are shocked that I, I could fall prey, right, to this heretic idea. How could this happen? And I'll tell you, it's not because I didn't believe or, have, or, or didn't have faith. In fact, it's quite the opposite. My faith and my reliance of my dogma was so cemented that my reality caused me tremendous anguish. And if I didn't truly believe, if it was just a casual church thing for me, or, you know, my circumstances would not put me in this type of crisis that I'm about to share. And that's why I'm sharing. This entry is titled, Unkept, Unheard, Forgotten, Ignored. Hear this. I've wept and I've screamed and prayed and cried out and pled and had faith and searched heaven for compassion and yelled and then some. And in return, I've seen continued deterioration, no progress, surgery after surgery, And a promise of more surgeries and cavities. Because Sarah bites her toothbrush. I, I can't even brush her teeth properly. And a lifetime of itching, discomfort, bruising, deformed bones, and suffering that will never be expressed in a way that will alleviate the issue because she can't speak or even point to indicate the problem. Sidebar. Next time you have a hair in your face or a little itch, Think about my daughter. She, she lives with those her entire life. Never an itch scratched. The smallest of things. See how long you can go out without scratching that itch. Without moving that hair that's bothering your face. See how long you can go without it. My prayers, petition, faith, and pleadings have either gone unheard or ignored. And the promises that were given to me in a holy book have either been unkept or forgotten. So the things I learned about a higher calling and denying self and the most fundamental part of any relationship, trust, they've all been shattered. I thought I read, he's faithful even when I'm not. Hmm. I can agree with that thought if I attach his faithfulness to the medical teams that prevented her bodily death. And the government programs that, absor- that have absorbed every medical bill and dispersed nearly every penny of income that, that we have received as a result of the affliction that God could have, A, protected her from, Psalms 91, or B, healed her of by his stripes, Isaiah and Peter. To which or to whom should I attach credit for faithfulness even when I'm not faithful? Is this the type of questioning that John the Baptist's father engaged in, or the kind that the Virgin Mary engaged in when the angel of the Lord appeared? Is it presumptuous of the lowly created being to expect the Creator to adhere to the promises that the Creator made? Is it beyond audacious to attempt to hold the Creator accountable to those promises of the expression of the Creator's love, goodness, and ability? Does it grieve the Creator when His creation expresses the very emotion that the Creator intentionally baked into the creation? I don't want to have these emotions, right? You gave me these. It puts a very serious question in the heart of a person who sincerely believes that both parents are and were filled with the Spirit, and yet neither were instructed, prompted, or otherwise moved to simply bring Sarah in at any point before the damage was done. The natural and logical next battle, really war, that is waged in the soul of this believer is the war to not feel utterly betrayed to the core by A, the God he was taught to trust, and B, everyone who ever taught him there was such a God. The search then begins, intentional or unintentional, to identify any part of his belief system that can be retained for someone who can be trusted. And the longer this crisis remains, the more the individual arranges their life in such a way to not rely on or even be reminded of those who rely on such a flawed belief system. So, thanks for the emotions. Thanks for the expectations. Thanks for the need to trust you. Thanks for your unique ability to make me sincerely feel connected, loved, and important. And then the extreme polar opposite end of the spectrum. All while retaining supreme title of perfection and blamelessness. It is a spectacular feat that could only be attained by a deity. Here's a great example of an unwanted thought. If we're created in the image and likeness of the Creator, and we're flawed, hmm, Selah. Furthermore, does it not follow that our writings that are held as holy would also be flawed, Selah? Unwanted thoughts born uh, born of utter disappointment. Please forgive and do not hold these implanted emotions and expressions against the one who is created in the image and likeness of the Creator. These are not the thoughts of an evil, rebellious, corrupt adversary with malicious intent. These are the created, implanted, and expressed emotions of a redeemed, adopted, sincere, flawed, reverent created being who has craved and craves to be the recipient of the generous, merciful, loving, abundant promises that were given but have been left disappointingly, unmercifully, intentionally, unexplicably, heartbreakingly, unfulfilled. Alas, my only comfort is this. I suppose if my sincere pleadings, petitions, prayers, tears, faith, and cries have not been heard or persuasive in any way, then these expressions of hurt, pain, and betrayal will sadly have no impact unless hopefully not to punish me further a truly unworthy expectation from a god who is love this is this is real right here this doesn't even begin to explain what it's like this is a this is a fraction of what it's like in here, in my heart. That's a fraction of what it's like. And I do want to address something. If you knew my dad, Pastor Bob Marson, hear what I'm about to say. A couple months before he passed away, I started sharing these ideas with him because I was trying to navigate what it really meant. And I thought I was kind of going kind of crazy because clearly these ideas run contrary to what my dad taught me. And these ideas were bothering me quite a bit. But I'll tell you, they bother me a lot less than trying to reconcile my reality with my faith. And if you listen to episode 000, you'll begin to understand what I mean. So we spent quite a few hours discussing it. I'll say that he was firmly not yet on board with these thoughts. And I understand how, and I understand why he was not yet persuaded. And let me also say that a large part of the reason why I delayed this show was because I felt like I was turning my back on him and his life's work in ministry. So how then can I justify teaching what my dad would consider to be heretical? I'll tell you why. Throughout his 40-plus years in ministry, he was a friend to the friendless. He was kind to the unkind. He accepted the ones who, re- who were rejected their whole life. He was a father to people who didn't have a father. I talked about this at his memorial. Like I said, he was the most Christ-like person I ever knew. Yeah, he had his faults. But he still embodied the nature of God toward others. I would say he imperfectly embodied the nature of God. But Matthew chapter 7, 9 through 11, is what compels me to put aside my fear of betraying my imperfect dad. I'm going to paraphr- par- paraphrase the, pra- the passage. You can turn there if you want to, but you already know it. You already know it. Jesus said it like this Some of you are fathers. If your son asks you for some bread, would you give him a stone? If he asks you for a fish, would you give him a snake? Of course not. Look, we all know that you're imperfect compared to God. But even you know how to give good things to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven, who is perfect, give good things to anyone, even when they don't ask? And this is what I choose to be loyal to. The imperfect example of my father as we look at the perfect example of God wrapped in a robe of flesh. So don't make the mistake of thinking that I've betrayed my father. I'm loyal to the love that changed his life, not the dogma it was wrapped in. The love of God is greater than the man-made, imperfect conditions that were imposed when it was given and anything that is contrary to the nature of God. I have to count it as an imperfect human attempt to embody the nature of God. And this includes a very large portion of the dogma my father was given, who innocently and understandably passed it on to me. And I have no fear that God is going to get me for teaching this. Why? Well, first I can say that If Jesus were walking the earth today, I wouldn't advocate that he be put to death. Uh, Well, maybe a couple years ago, right? (laughs) But but not now. But here's the thing. Even if I were still clinging to a dogma that compelled me to endorse the killing of Jesus, his nature is to forgive me. There's a true glimpse of God's nature in the passage that says, and I referenced it in the thing, right? In my letter. Even when I'm not faithful, God is faithful. And another glimpse that says he's faithful and just to overlook my shortcomings. I know, I know, I know. I omitted the if I confess part of the scripture. But look, I'm able to overlook the imperfection of the biblical writer and hold on to the example of Christ who forgave his murderers even when they didn't think they had anything to confess. I know this is tough to let go of our dogmatic imperfections. And you know what? I was was actually going to say it's okay, but let me put it this way. We've been so worried about the eternal consequences that we've been blinded to the temporal consequences that our dogmatic imperfections inflict upon our daily lives. That's a major statement. We're going to talk more about that as the show continues to unfold. I know you've got questions. But along with your questions, I want to ask you to contemplate what I mean by the temporal consequences that our dogmatic imperfections inflict upon our daily lives. Temporal consequences, what do I mean? The consequences that happen in the here and now as a result of our dogmatic imperfections and how they affect us on a daily basis. We need to contemplate that. And after listening to these first three episodes, what do you think I mean by that? Thank you so much for watching and listening. If you have a question or a comment and you want to reach out, I'm putting the email, how you can reach me, in the description. I don't have my website or, or uh, you know, any of that stuff up and running yet. I want to get this stuff down. I want to get it out there. And uh, I'll, I'll have a temporary email in there, and I'll be able to update that in the description later on so that it's not on the screen and it's not, uh, you know, permanently going to the wrong place from the video or the audio, audio recording. Remember, purpose in your heart to see the original goodness in others The way God sees the original goodness in you. Love you guys. Thanks. Dogmatically Imperfect with Justin Marson is a production of Original Goodness Media. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple ways to do that. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the website originalgoodness.media. The other way to support the show is to share it with others directly or by leaving a review. If you have thoughts or questions that you would like to share, please send an email to yabut at originalgoodness.media. That's Y-E-A-H-B-U-T at originalgoodness.media. Make sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast and social media platforms. Special thanks to The Real Night Terror for our theme music. See you next time.